Okay, so I'm going to open up in prayer, but during a, during my lunch break, I was walking around the horrible heat and praying for tonight and stuff, and um, the Lord just laid this on my heart, so I wanted to share it with you guys really quick before I got started, but I have loved this series that we're going through, just how Jesus is all of those different things, and one of the... Um, challenges that the Lord was putting on my heart was if I am truly a believer and the spirit of Christ is dwelling within me. So if, then, and Jesus is all of those things. Jesus is our creator and Jesus is our shepherd. And tonight we're going to talk about Jesus, our healer. So if he is those things, and he is in us, then does our life show that? Does our life show that, yes, Jesus is a healer because I see him inside of you? And someone can look at you and be like, I know Jesus is the creator because I look at your life and I see that inside of you. It's not Marla. It's not because Marla's amazing or anything like that, even though she is. But Jesus is amazing, and he is displaying who he is through her. So all of us should have some of that revealed in our life in some way. But Jesus is infinite, and he wants to display himself in much bigger ways, I think, in and through our lives. And so I don't want that challenge to then make you feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm a horrible person. I just need to try harder. But what God is saying is if you are not displaying, if you are not seeing me display myself through your life, there's three options. One, you're not a Christian and you need to get saved. That's pretty simple. You just need the spirit of God in you. Number two, you do not understand who Jesus is. Or number three, you are not surrendering to who he is. That's honestly the only three options. And so that all goes back to Jesus. It's Jesus who reveals himself to us through his word because we serve a God who loves to reveal himself. It's Jesus who changes us. It's Jesus who gives us a desire for him. So as I'm sharing this, I want you guys to let Jesus search your heart and let him show you where he's wanting to move. And I know I shared this in worship a couple weeks ago, but he was bringing it to my mind again today. And the kingdom of God is a lot like like this huge mansion. It's this big house. And we finally are called a son or a daughter of Christ. And we are given the keys to the house, and we come in, and we don't really have coat closets in Florida, so I'll just use, like, foyer. We just stay in the foyer, and we're like, snuck in, hope no one noticed. You know, like, I'm not good enough to go into the rest of the house. I'm not good enough to be mistress of the rest of the house. I'm not good enough to have all of these wonderful things that he has available. And God looks at us, and he's like... You're right, but it's not about you. And so it's not about 
how intelligent you are. It's not about whether you were brought up in a Christian family or not. It's not about how strong or how weak you are. It's all about Jesus's grace. And so a lot of times we just listen to all these lies of the enemy. And I'm, my, my prayer tonight is that Jesus would just be clearing away those lies. That if you look at someone else and you're like, wow, well, Jenny Rose leads worship amazingly, and she just has this deep relationship with Jesus and this intimacy with Jesus. And, you know, she's gone all the way into past the family room. She's like into the humongous library that's bigger than Beauty and the Beast library. Like those are the kinds of rooms that are in our father's house, that are in his kingdom, that are available to us. And we're like, well, she's just amazing. She was raised, her dad was a pastor, and she was just given all the right tools. She's super smart, you know, so of course she understands Jesus. And the Lord is like, no, you could have all the right tools in quotations given to you and still not get it. And you could have none of the right tools given to you, but get Jesus. And that's all that matters. So anyway, that was just my little caveat. I'm going to open a prayer now. (sighs) Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, you are our healer, and you love to display yourself to us and then through us to the world. And Jesus, I thank you that we know that that is your heart. And I pray that tonight, Jesus, you would just blow our socks off with your truth. And Jesus, I thank you that you promise that your word will not return to you void, that it will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. And so, Jesus, I pray that my words would not be heard tonight but that your word would shine forth, that your word would go forth, and that it would change us. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself through the word and that you would help us to know you, to have relationship with you, to have intimacy with you, because Jesus, that is what it's all about. It's nothing else. And right now we lay our hearts before you, And we lay our pride before you. And anything that we have been putting ahead of you, we cast it down. Jesus, any lies that I'm believing, any lies that anyone in this room is believing, we lay them at your feet. Show them to us, Jesus, and we surrender them to you. And I ask, Jesus, that you would be glorified in this place and that you would do a mighty work tonight. In Jesus' name. Okay. We're going to fly through this, y'all. I'm not even kidding. There's like so much scripture that we're going to go through. So Jehovah Rapha, which is translated the Lord, our healer, or the Lord who heals, is only found in that exact phrase once in the Bible, and it's in Exodus 15. So if you guys can turn to Exodus 15 really quick. And This is like one of my all-time favorite topics, and so I kind of had to like arm wrestle my mom for this. I was like, no, I really want Jesus our healer. So I hope that you guys get something out of it. (laughs) Probably would have been better if she had taught it, but God's word is amazing and powerful, so we are going to dig into this, and there's a bunch of scriptures that we're going to read in the beginning, so just jot them down if you have paper, 
Um, if you don't have time to look them up while I'm reading them, that's okay. Um, because I really want to get into some of the parables. So we're just going to get through this part. Okay, so Exodus 15, and we're going to start with verse 22. So the Israelites have just crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptians were killed by the sea swallowing them up. Then Miriam leads them all in this song and dance, and they are just praising God, and they are delighting in being his chosen people, right? So verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree. Some of your versions might say a branch or a limb or something. The, um, what does it say? Piece of wood, which is wrong. As my dad talked about in one of his sermons a few weeks ago, the Hebrew word here literally means tree. Keep that in your head. So, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he, meaning Moses, threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. And when you understand the significance of this passage, I think that this will probably become one of your favorite passages too. This is like one of my favorite passages in all of scripture because this is a picture of Jesus and this is a picture of the cross. And whenever you go through the Old Testament, everything in it is, is pointing to Jesus, everything. And so in this, we are those waters and they're bitter. And so the Lord looks at those waters and he tells Moses, throw a tree into it. And Jesus was hung on a tree. He was hung on a cross. And in the New Testament, I can't get into all those verses, but it, it, it says Jesus was hung on a tree. That's how it puts it. And so when the cross is thrown into our bitter waters, they become neutral. They're drinkable. They're livable. They're okay. That's not what the Bible says. They become sweet. And so when Jesus, when the cross of Christ is thrown into the midst of bitterness, it doesn't just neutralize things. It makes it sweet. When he comes into a situation, when he comes into a life, when he comes in to do a healing work, he does it completely. It's like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire and Jesus was in there with them one that looked like the Son of Man. And they come out of the fire. And yeah, they were unharmed. But they also smelled like no smoke. See, like that's how Jesus redeems. That's how Jesus pulls us out of bitterness. That's how Jesus heals. He doesn't just heal and say, okay, you're now going to have all these scars. He heals and he heals completely. He heals and he makes the water sweet. 
And to me, that is so amazing because that reveals the heart of God. That is who Jesus is. There is not even a scent of smoke about us when we have been thrown into the furnace. He does a complete work. And so God is our healer in three different ways. He's our healer physically. He's our healer emotionally. And he's our healer spiritually. And we're going to look at some really quick verses about that. For physical, for being our physical healer, Psalm 103. Starting with verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And you guys probably know this verse really well, Isaiah 53, verse 4. I'm going to kind of change the words in my NASB um, because I think that uh, translated, it's more closely matched to the NIV because this is talking about physical afflictions. It's talking about physical sorrows. Surely our sickness he he himself bore. Sorry, I'm going to say that again. Surely our sickness he himself bore. And our pains... He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So those are showing God as our physical healer. Turn back to Psalm 147. This is one of my favorite verses. Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. So now we're talking about God as our emotional healer. He heals the brokenhearted. And there's an amazing verse that people quote all the time, and it really is beautiful, Psalm 34, 18. And it talks about how God is close to the brokenhearted. And that is a beautiful picture where he's close to us. He's not, he's not a distant God. He brings himself close, and it's through that closeness and intimacy that he reveals himself, but I love this verse because it's not just that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted, but he heals the brokenhearted. So for emotional, for God is our emotional healing, we're also going to look at, back to Isaiah, no, Isaiah, yeah, back to Isaiah, <laughs> um, but chapter 61, verse 1. And Jesus quotes this about himself when he's teaching in the synagogues. So, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Jesus was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And so those verses are showing God as our emotional healer. 
and I'm sorry to do this to y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm not really, but um, Psalm 41. Back to Psalms. Psalms is just so good. Psalm 41, verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. So God not only reveals himself as our physical healer, as our emotional healer, but also as our spiritual healer, that there is a sin sickness inside of our soul that he longs to heal. Um, And now we're also going to quickly look at 1 Peter 2, because this is actually a quote of Isaiah 53. And I really like this passage because it, um, it puts Isaiah 53, verse 5, into its proper context. Um, and, you know, I'm all about context, context, context. Um, oh, I'm looking in Second Peter. If I were in First Peter, that would be more helpful. First Peter, chapter 2, starting in verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So Isaiah 53, 5 is an amazing passage. By his wounds, we are healed. But the context of that healing is spiritual healing, and it's powerful. And Jesus' wounds are powerful and effective to bring spiritual healing to our lives. So God reveals himself as this healer. And then Jesus is the complete radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact image of him. And so if that were true, then Jesus should display himself on the earth as a healer, right? Like that just makes logical sense. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God and God is our healer, then Jesus should reveal himself as a healer. And he does. His entire ministry was marked by healing. I mean, you guys probably know five million parables about Jesus healing people physically because he was powerful and able. But his ministry was also marked by spiritual healing. The cross. The place of spiritual healing. That's why he came. And then you, all, you also see it throughout, you know, the um, during all of his miracles when he'll say to someone, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, dude, what are you doing? Like, only God forgives sins. And Jesus is like, did you get the picture then? You know, a.k.a. I am God. But if you want it said in a different way, you are healed. And so Jesus not only brought spiritual healing through the cross, but it was throughout his entire ministry. And so he displayed that part of himself throughout his entire ministry on earth. But he also displayed his emotional healing, how he is our emotional healer. 
And because he was so personal with people. And one of my favorite stories is the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair. And a lot of people assume that it was Mary Magdalene. Bible doesn't explicitly say that. That's what tradition says. And honestly, it kind of fits. But Jesus then tells this parable to help the Pharisee get over his legalism and pride and basically says, this woman is loving me so much with her tears because she's already been forgiven. So when she came and wept at Jesus' feet, we're missing a scene that happened somewhere where she had already had some kind of interaction with Jesus. And she already knew that her sins were forgiven. And she's wailing and sobbing enough to wet his entire feet with her tears because she's been forgiven. And so to me, I look at that story, and to me, that's a story of emotional healing. That there was spiritual healing that happened. And then she is responding with this joy and love to the Lord. And he is receiving her who a woman who had sold herself to men and he's receiving her to touch him, to clean his feet. And he is accepting her and saying, yes, you are forgiven. And I look at that and I know for me, if I were that woman, that there would be, it's just, it has to be a story of where her heart is being healed. And to me, that's so amazing. As, I, as I've been studying these passages, um, the Lord has brought to mind that I think there are two main lies that we believe about Jesus. Two main lies that the devil tries to get us to believe. And a lot of times we fall into it, even if it's just a little bit. But the first one is that Jesus is not able to heal me. Now, I'm sure all of us can look at our life. And, I mean, when my mom was talking about physical healing, like the Lord has done a big physical healing in my own life, but there is still a lot of chronic stuff that I go through. And my pain is not nearly as bad as some other people in this room. I know that. So there is a lot of physical pain in this room. There are also, I mean, how many of us could raise our hands that there there are still sin issues that we have been crying out for for years or decades, and we're still waiting for that 100% victory. We're still waiting for that complete spiritual healing. I mean, and the complete, complete spiritual healing won't happen until heaven. But we're still longing for that. And I can say... (laughs) As a pastor's daughter, as a deaconess, as a woman, I know that every single one of you guys have wounds, emotional wounds and hurts that God is still wanting to heal. So the first lie, so as we go through this, I allow the Lord to bring those to your mind. Might be painful, but again, he's our healer. So let him bring them up. But the first lie is that Jesus is not able to heal me. We might say, this is as good as it's going to get. I'll always be this way. 
someone says something, I will always respond about men that way because of what I've been through. I will never be able to completely trust someone again. It's just how it is. It's who I am. Our culture says, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. But Jesus says, Anna. If you got the reference, thank you. <laughs> but we look at our life and we're like, you know, this physical, these physical issues, it is just always going to hinder me from the calling of God on my life. These emotional issues, they are just always going to hinder me from the calling of God on my life. These spiritual issues, they are always just going to be hindering me from the calling of God on my life because Jesus is not able to. Or maybe we are really spiritual and we know Jesus is able to. But we know that it requires surrender to go there. And we limit his power by saying he'll never be able to do it because I'll never be able to surrender. I've been there. I have believed that lie. And Jesus again looks at us and he says, then ask me. And then keep asking me. And then start knocking. And then keep knocking. And then seek. And then keep seeking. Because not only is he able to, but if, he, if we ask him, he is able to do a mighty work through us. He is able to help us surrender. He is able to help us to open up for him to bring healing. So number one lie, Jesus is not able to heal me. Number two, Jesus doesn't want to heal me. And so again, it goes back this is just how it's always going to be. I have prayed that prayer a thousand times. God knows it. It's in his hands now. But really, there's this underlying lie that Jesus doesn't want to heal me. And there are some physical wounds that the Lord will allow us to go through because we all have to die from something. And my mom says this all the time, or the last few weeks at least, <laughs> to me. There are illnesses that lead to healing, and there are illnesses that lead to death. But I am standing in faith that most of the illnesses in this room are going to lead to healing, because God has a lot more to do in us and through us And I just have to say, if Jesus didn't want to heal, he would have never come down to the earth. Jesus wasn't just saying, you know what? These horrible people, for some reason, the Father wants them in heaven one day. And I'm going to die on the cross and offer them forgiveness. That's not what he did, and that's not why he did it. But he wanted a spotless bride. And he wanted a bride that he could have relationship with. He wanted a bride that he could have that relational intimacy with. He wanted a bride that he could share absolutely every part of who he was with, starting at salvation, not just when we get to heaven. 
So, as we look through these parables, the first lie, Jesus is not able to heal me. I want you to think about this. The very first week that we had our women's Bible study, we looked at Jesus is our creator. He literally made everything by the power of his breath. He spoke the earth into existence, and he formed us out of the dust of the earth. And he made us not to just be physical beings, but to be emotional beings. He literally formed that part of us. He formed us to be like him, to be able to be wounded. He made us to be able to feel betrayal. He made us to be able to feel rejection because God has gone through that. And then he also created us as spiritual beings. And so if Jesus is our creator, if he literally formed and put together every part of who we are, then he is fully and completely capable of putting it back together, of making it whole. And one thing that I was thinking as I was praying today, I was like, Jesus, anyone that has ever existed in the universe, you have the biggest right to close yourself off. You have the biggest right to never be vulnerable again. You have the biggest right to close your heart off to people. You have the biggest right to have walls because you have been betrayed like no one else in all of history and the entire universe has been betrayed because our sin is betrayal against him and it's an infinite betrayal because it's against an infinite God none of us have ever experienced anything like that but Jesus is completely open and completely vulnerable and when we come close he loves us completely And he shows himself completely to us. And so it was just kind of like, you know, one of those like brain exploding moments as you're spending time with the Lord and Jesus really loves them. So as we combat those two lies, we're going to look in Luke chapter five. And just, just like a, what's the word? Not warning. Um, brain is dead from work, I guess. Um, Luke 5. And most of the insights I've stolen. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just, like, putting them all together. But they're mostly from my sisters and other people. So none of this is like, oh, wow, Juliana, that's amazing. No. Jesus is amazing, and he likes speaking through other people. Okay, so Luke 5, and we are going to read verses 12 and 13. So background, Jesus is preaching in Galilee. And if you read the Gospels, I was actually a little surprised by this, and I've read the Gospels multiple times. Um, But Capernaum was actually called his home. When people heard that he had come home, he was at Capernaum. Capernaum was where um, Peter, that's his name, 
where Peter was from. Capernaum was where Jesus healed Peter's mother. Um, Capernaum was where he would be staying at, and then he would cross the Sea of Galilee and then cross the sea back. So he might not necessarily be in the direct city of Capernaum, but he's in that area. So while he was in one of the cities, either in or around Capernaum, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So you need to understand that because of the law, those with leprosy were not supposed to be in the city at all. They especially weren't supposed to be near people, and no one upon no one was supposed to touch them. They were unclean. They were the filth of the earth. People would throw stones and rocks at them to get them away. They were completely rejected. If you have ever felt rejected, believe me, you probably have not been rejected as much as someone with leprosy because everyone had to reject them and physically throw them out. So this man with leprosy comes up and he is so overcome by Jesus and who Jesus is and by everything that he's heard about him that he throws himself on the ground with his face at his feet and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. So he had one of the lies, like, totally tossed out. He knew Jesus was able to. But part of him was believing the, first, the second lie, that Jesus might not want to heal him, that Jesus would be like everyone else and tell him, you need to follow the law and get out. Because remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He still wanted to keep other people clean. But he didn't reject him, and he didn't cast him out. Instead, he touched someone who probably hadn't felt physical touch in years. And so I look at that, and I'm like, wow, Jesus, you are the creator. You can do amazing physical healing work if we're standing in faith, and if we ask you, you can heal, but not Jesus always goes the extra mile. He didn't just heal him physically, but he went and he touched him. And I think that in that touch, it's such a small part of these two small verses, but I think that in that touch, Jesus was healing even something deeper inside of that man that had been constantly rejected and constantly reviled and constantly pushed aside and Jesus said, no, I love you. I love you so much, and I care for you so much that I am going to let you physically feel my healing because I am your healer. <clears throat> and if you look a couple chapters later that we're not going to actually do, but you can contrast it to the 10 lepers that come to Jesus in chapter 17. And what was interesting to me 
in the comparison is that Jesus didn't touch any of them. He healed them, but he didn't touch any of them. And if you notice, they were not desperate like this other man. Jesus still healed them. They were still physically healed, but they lacked a desperation because they kept a distance from Jesus to follow the rules and regulations, and they did not throw themselves at Jesus' feet. And so what I take from that is that Jesus heals, and if we ask him, he'll heal. But a lot of times what, what we need is that touch, that deep emotional healing, and he'll do it if we are throwing ourselves at his feet, if we are literally on our faces before him, so desperate for a touch from him, he will meet us. And if you turn a couple pages over to Luke 8, um, starting with verse 40, this is another amazing story. And when I say story, as in, like, this happened, it's not just, you know, like, oh, cool, this shares a cool character or quality of God. Like, no, like, this is historical fact. So let's think about it as that. As we're reading it, picture yourself in the scenario because it actually happened to someone. <clears throat> so Jesus had just returned to Capernaum. So this all happens at in Capernaum. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. Your version might say synagogue ruler. Same thing. And he fell at Jesus' feet. Good first step. And began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him because they had all come to welcome him, and now he's going off. Rude. <clears throat> and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Bless his heart, Lord. Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped his notice, she came trembling and fell down, again, good first step, fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
But when Jesus heard this, he answered, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. And this is actually talking about the crowds outside if you read all the other um, uh, people's testimonies of it. They were lamenting for her and he said, stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing she had died. The Jews weren't stupid, y'all. Like, sometimes we think about people, you know, in the Middle Ages and how they buried people that weren't actually dead. But the Jews were a little bit more intelligent than that, and they knew when someone had died. So they were laughing. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Just a quick note, I really like how practical Jesus is sometimes. Like, he's this amazing, like, friend and brother to people, and he just, like, reaches down into the very depths of people's hearts and yanks it out of them. But he's also really practical. He's like, she was dead, and now she's alive. Get her something to eat. Because they're all probably like, oh, my goodness, she's alive. And Jesus is like, cool, now get her something to eat because she needs to eat. And that just makes me happy. Um, <clears throat> so it's interesting, and we don't have time. My dad had a sermon about it a couple of years ago. He and I were talking this morning. Um, so we can't get into, like, the story afterwards when Jesus sends out the 12. And it's interesting how... Um, Luke makes a big point about 12 in this um, area of scripture right here. And he makes it a point verse with um, touching verses that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old and the woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. And then right after he heals Jairus' daughter, he sends out the 12. And so it's this really cool picture of Jesus' authority that he can then pass on, showing the 12, 12, 12. So just a note, you can tuck it into your head, study it later. But the woman with the issue of blood, again, just like the leper, she wasn't supposed to be around other people. When a woman was on her cycle, she was unclean for two weeks. Not just the one week she was on her cycle, for two weeks. And she wasn't supposed to be around anyone so that no blood born pathogen whatever could be spread to anyone and it wasn't supposed to be degrading women or anything like that it was just to keep everything clean so what's interesting is that Jesus if you start at the very beginning of Luke if you start at the very beginning of all the gospels and then you read all the way up to the story Jesus had been teaching and healing and doing a lot of stuff in this area for a a while Like, he spent most of his three and a half years of his ministry here. And again, Capernaum was his home. So she hadn't just heard about it. She waited a while, possibly longer than a year or two, even close to three. And she continued to spend all of her money on doctors that weren't able to help her. And she finally says, okay, I know I'm not supposed to be around anyone, 
but there's this crowd and maybe I can sneak in. And I can't, I can't presume upon his favor. And I can't presume upon anything from him. I can't presume on the fact that he'll want to heal me. But if I sneak in and I touch the hem of his robe, and the hem of the robe stood for authority, which is where Ruth and her asking Boaz to put the hem of his garment over her. That's where it comes from. So it stands for authority. So she's like, if I just, if I just touch a tiny bit of his authority, I can sneak the healing in and then get away. And she was healed. Jesus felt power go out of him. And so Jesus, I'm like 99.9999999999% sure that Jesus knew she was healed too. But Jesus still sought her out. And he was like, where you think you have to sneak in to get my favor, where you feel like you have to sneak in to get your healing, I am going to seek you out and not just allow you to be healed physically, but also to heal this wound that he somehow knew was in her emotionally and spiritually because she's believing lies about God. And so he calls her out. He keeps asking, who touched me? Who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, everyone is touching you. And Jesus is like, no, someone touched me. There was someone healed who didn't know that I loved them, who didn't know that my heart was for them, who didn't know that I longed to be their healer and that that is not just what I'm capable of, but that is what my heart is. And so he keeps asking. And she finally admits, and it says she even shared with him the reason why she touched him. In that culture, that was shameful. She admits her shame, not just to Jesus, but to the entire crowd. Honestly, she probably didn't have to do that, but she does because Jesus sought her out. And so he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She had already received her physical healing, but now she can go in peace in her spirit. And I, I just, I love that so much that we don't have to twist Jesus' arm to heal us. We don't have to try to sneak in to his kingdom as in like, okay, maybe, maybe he just won't remember everything that I've done. Maybe he just won't remember all that and still, and still heal me. And God the Father is like, what are you talking about? You're covered with the righteousness of my son. I don't see those things anymore. Of course I want to heal you. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. And um, when, when we were having prayer night last Wednesday um, and we were singing Touch of Heaven and whoo, I've listened to that song probably like five times a day. 
in the past few weeks, but, um, and I shared some on Sunday about what, what the Lord was showing me, but one of the things that I was praying, like, while singing and stuff, um, while we were leading worship, <clears throat> the Lord, I was asking the Lord, like, okay, I'm doing this talk about Jesus, our healer, and the Lord has done such a healing work in me, y'all. I mean, if you knew me 10 years ago, like, the Lord has healed me of so much bitterness. The Lord has healed me of really deep betrayals. And he's made those areas of my life beautiful. He's made them sweet, not just neutral, because again, that's how he heals. He heals completely and fully. He makes things sweet. And, um, but I was like, Jesus, like, there has to be more healing. I know that there's spiritual healing. And so I was laying that before him and, um, and then the Lord was like, you know, there's so many different areas where you can be hurt by unreciprocated love. And it could be unreciprocated love from a parent or unreciprocated love from a different family member or friend. You feel like you have given them everything and they just spit in your face. Unreciprocated love romantically, whatever it is. And Jesus was like, Juge, he calls me by my nickname, not, you know, because, again, he's personal. And he was like, Juge, like, that's never me. I never don't reciprocate. In fact, I never don't initiate. And it, we only love him because he first loved us. We're only seeking him because he first sought us. We only fall at his feet because he has first reached his arms out, because he has first been the prodigal son's father who ran for his son. And so he was just like, like every healing for that type of wound is found in me because I always reciprocate. And it's always me initiating. And it's always me pouring out love. <clears throat> and so I'm really hoping that the Lord was able to show you, and he's, again, he's still, like, using his word to cleanse my mind, to cleanse my heart, to show me parts of those lies that I'm believing, and, and I hope he's been doing the same, because when we break up into our smaller groups, I'm going to um, play some worship music, and if you want to come to the front and kneel at the altar and just pray and worship, if you want to just weep before the Lord, or if you want to gather into your smaller groups and ask for a really specific prayer there, you are welcome to do that too. Um, and you can share in as much detail or as vaguely as you want and trust the Holy Spirit to pray through people because that's what he does. But as we are... As the Lord is shining forth and saying, daughters, this is who I am. I am your creator. I am more than able. Daughters, this is my heart. I am more than desiring to heal you. And I will seek you out. Um... Healing 
comes from faith. And it's not like this mystical, like, oh, faith brings about wonders. It's, no, God is almighty, and he's powerful, and faith allows him to be himself. That's what faith does. It's not mystical. It has nothing to do with us except we're having faith. And the Lord, um, I just, I really wanted to share this. Hebrews 11, verse 6. It's the whole hall of fame of faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe two things. And these directly contradict these two lies. They must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. The he is goes back to his covenantal name of Yahweh. Yahweh is God saying, I am. God says, I am, and we say, he is. And it's that God is this absolute separate, this absolute holy, this absolute loving, that there's no words to describe him. It's just, I am. It has the connotation of he is the same yesterday, today, and forever because I am. And so when we stand in faith and say he is, that is what we are declaring. We are declaring that he is almighty, that he is the creator, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is who he says he is, and he will never change and he will never stop being he is. And then we believe that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And it's not like, well, Jenny Rose is a better runner than me, so she's going to obviously get the prize before me. Like, it's not like he's like, okay, you're barely walking there. How can I reward you? Like, the purpose of he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him is that it's showing his heart, that his heart is saying, fall at my feet because I love you. My heart is that if you seek me, I will make myself found. That if you give up everything for me, I will be everything to you. And I will satisfy you like nothing else can. Um, so I know I only have like two minutes. Really like negative two. That's okay. Um, a couple months ago when we were going through First Peter, in my Bible study, I shared this analogy, and I think Marla did too, because I shared it with her, and we were both like, yes, that's so amazing. But our life is like a garden. Okay. And there are certain spots that are really beautiful. And we love bringing people to come see those spots because we have worked really, really hard on them. And then there are others that are a little overgrown, kind of have some thistles. And we try to, you know, like people start wandering. We're like, no, 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 no. There's nothing over there. Just forget about it. But then there are some spots in our life where people or circumstances have taken an entire dump truck of manure into our garden. 
and dumped it right in the middle of that spot. And when that happens, not if, because it definitely happens to every single person. Again, people are circumstances. There are three ways to respond. The first one is we build a shrine to it. And we bring people to see it and we're like, do you see what was dumped in my garden? Yeah, that happened to me. That is what I deal with. Do you smell that? Yes. Shrine. The second way is we build a little makeshift hut. I mean, it is a huge pile. But we build this hut thing that kind of looks like branches so that it hides it. And we're hoping that no one will ever see it. And we're hoping God doesn't even see it. But it's still there. And every now and then, you know, there'll be a stronger breeze. And we'll be in a really nice part of the garden. And we're like, oh, that's awful. But what God's heart is, is that we allow him as the gardener, the master gardener, to take that manure and to fertilize the ground and to actually make it the most exquisite part of our garden. That he can take what was dumped on us and make it completely beautiful. I mean, flowers that are supposed to only bloom like once every 20 years, but instead they bloom like every day. That's what he creates. That's what he's desiring. That it's not a shrine and it's not us trying to cover it and hide it, but he's saying, will you remove yourself from this and open up your hands because I'm seeking after you. You're trying to hide. You're trying to, to seek my healing by, by sneaking in. And daughter, I'm saying, let me in. And let me be the gardener because that's who I am. Let me be the healer because that's who I am. And let me take this manure and let me fertilize it because I'm going to create fruit from it. I'm going to create beautiful flowers and I'm going to create <clears throat> maybe not wheat, corn or whatever that's going to yield 30 and 60 and 100 fold of fruit. He's going to create something that you are going to let everyone in your life be like, look, this isn't anything I've done. This isn't me trying to work. This is what God has done in my life. And there are some big areas in my life that I absolutely love telling people about. I mean, they're very personal, so it's not like I go blabbing about them all the time. But if I ever have a deep talk with someone, I love telling people about it because that's what he's done. That's what he wants to do. And so as we're praying, um, and again, you're welcome to come up here or to divide up into your groups. That's what he wants to do tonight. And tonight's just the beginning or if you've been on this journey, it's just a tiny step in that. But keep throwing yourself at his feet and keep desiring for more of him. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and pray over us. And, um, and let's just stay in, in a, an attitude of worship 
and of just quietness before the Lord. Um, Because I think he wants to do something here. And, And again, his word doesn't return void. It's impossible for his word to return void. So Jesus... Jesus, I thank you that you are our healer and that you seek after us. And Lord, you will do absolutely whatever it takes for us to know you. You will do absolutely whatever it takes for your character and who you are to be revealed to us. Because you know that that is what we need. And Jesus, I just, I present every, every physical, every emotional, every spiritual wound, every part of our lives that is called Mara, bitterness. And Jesus, would you throw the cross right into the middle of it? Would you throw that tree right into the middle of it? Because, Jesus, you are all that we want, and you're all that we need. And so I just, I pray, Jesus, that as we worship, as we pray for one another, that you would continue to reveal yourself. And, Jesus, I thank you that that your heart breaks for us. You don't look at those piles of manure with indifference. But you literally look at it and you weep. Just like you looked at Lazarus and you knew you were going to raise him from the dead. But you wept. And Jesus, you look at these areas of our lives and you weep with us. Even though you know what you're going to do with it. You know what beauty you're going to make from it. You know what sweetness you're going to make from it. But you weep. And so, Jesus, we just we just lay our hearts open before you. And you are free to do whatever you want in us. We love you so much, Jesus.